Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. I'm joined today by Sam Peters of The Independent to talk about Wales and Australia who meet this Sunday in a giant Paul D encounter at the Rugby World Cup. Hello Sam, thanks for joining us. Jack, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Uh, how's everything back home? Uh, are you keeping well? Yeah, keeping very well mate, admiring all the work you boys are getting on with out there and um, slightly uh, slightly envious if I'm honest, but uh, you know, uh, you're doing a great job and uh, obviously the World Cup's uh, getting plenty of attention back here so it's... Uh, yeah, been good to good to see from afar. That's brilliant to hear. What's the kind of feeling back home? How are the home nations being rated so far? Well, I think you know, England-wise, it's still early days, isn't it? I mean, I think they've they've had two games which haven't pushed them to to their limits by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Wales, obviously, the attention at the start of the tournament was all around Howley, which got. A huge amount of attention, um, and uh, and Scotland, quite frankly, uh, have been torn to shreds by their by their papers up up north of the border. I mean, obviously, desperately disappointing performance against Ireland, and um, yeah, but I think in terms of England, you know, it's, it's sort of a watching brief really at the moment until until the big games really later on in the pool. Okay, well, in in today's podcast, in part one, we'll be taking a close look at Wales and how their tumultuous start has really kind of been put behind them and looking ahead to what they can hope for and probably already progressing from their pool after Fiji lost to Uruguay. That, that kind of scuppered the Pacific Islanders' hopes of uh, moving forward. And then in part two, we'll be looking at the Wallabies and they're, they're very much the opposite. They, they were very flat in their opener. They've had a lot of problems in the build-up to the World Cup and those problems haven't really gone away with the whole Reese Hodge saga. So there's plenty for us to get our teeth stuck into. So starting off with Wales, and what was the impression from the first match against Georgia? Well, I think, again, it's, it's slightly like England in a way in that it was a, it was a game that, that never really stretched. I remember a couple of years ago, um, Wales played Georgia in Cardiff and, and it was probably the start of Gatland's kind of uh, plan to, to build the depth into his squad that he's done um, and, and they really struggled against Georgia so they learned some lessons from that game where the threats lay with, with Georgia and, and put away reasonably convincingly without setting the world alight but um, you know as you, as you rightly said there in the beginning you know the, the big the big uh, achievement of that game was just getting the rugby started moving forward from from what was a unbelievable and really sad state of affairs with the Rowley Slogger sort of leading into the tournament and, and they will be absolutely delighted to one convincingly against Georgia and, and obviously going into this game against Australia um, on, a, on a more upward trajectory than, than the Wallabies are I think it's fair to say 
It was a bit of a long wait for Wales to get underway as well with that Monday game, wasn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, you guys will have got that sense probably more than back here being out there. But um, yeah, one of the last games to get get going. And, um, always the first game in any tournament. You just want to get it done and did, especially a side like Georgia who are going to pose that sort of threat and the, and the threat that they've those up front particularly uh, and they got that they got that win and, and, and they can move in on and uh, you know so um, unquestionably the game of the weekend coming up uh, Wales Australia it's a, it's a massive massive game and one that people back in Wales on for one thing have been looking at for a very long time knowing, knowing how big this was going to be for their their sort of tournament prospects and that that Fiji defeat hasn't really lowered the the importance of this game has it Wales need to start going out there and beating these teams Oh, definitely. I think that game's that lost is kind of irrelevant in a way because you'd like to think, well, you know that a team that not so long ago were ranked number one in the world, Wales, and had this extraordinary run of wins um, under Gatland, you know, uh, that they're going into this tournament not sort of thinking, well, we might slip up against Fiji. We want to finish top of the group um, and set ourselves on a path which should more than likely see them face France or Argentina rather than England in the, in the quarterfinals. And, um, you know, they, they, they've got serious ambitions to win this tournament, Wales, and um, this game against Australia this weekend is going to define whether that's a realistic aspiration. And I think that you, you alluded to there, you know, their, their record against Southern Hemisphere teams in, in World Cups is appalling, quite frankly. So, Warren Gatlin named his team on Friday. Uh, very much the same again, no changes. Well, what do you make of that? Is that the right way to go? Uh, bed the team in in the first game and then give them another chance to go out and really get it up and running? Yes, yeah, good, good question. I mean, I think it's something that people maybe didn't focus uh, on too much uh, during the Six Nations with Wales was just how settled their team was. I mean, they, they made one change, one enforced change they were asked to make during that entire tournament um, when Corey Hill was injured the second row and Adam Beard came back into the side. Um, and, you know, continuity selection in tournaments is, is everything, really. So important for teams to be able to name from their full strength side. And, of course, if people go to four years ago, uh, the England game that they won was when actually, ironically, the sort of wheels started coming off the Welsh campaign because the injuries started mounting up. And by, by the quarterfinal against South Africa, Wales were a shell of a team. They had so many injuries, it completely destroyed their chances. And, um, you know, Paddy Parks apart during this tournament, coming into this game under a bit of a cloud with a, with a broken hand, um, you know, touch wood, they're, they're looking in reasonable fettle after a sort of slightly injury hit build up but uh, yeah a settled side I think it's, it's the way to go if you can if you've got the time between games then why wouldn't you pick a, pick a settled team and, and, and sort of work relations through the pool stages yeah we, we obviously had the news of Corey Hill going home but he, he hasn't really played any rugby since February and that, that didn't actually feel as important as it would have been because of that he hasn't been involved for a long time Exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it, I think, and, and I think also the, the way that Adam Beard is, is kind of taken to international rugby. Just he, he looks like I know this is quite a big leap, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him in the Lions second row um, on the next tour. And he's, he's an outstanding rugby player, really complete player, uh, big big guy. But he's also got the footballing qualities. And I think you know that that's, that strength and depth that Wales are able to call on. Obviously, is 
that has been well spoken about it, but is is absolutely testament to Gatlin's kind of planning over the last two to four years. Yeah, quite quite interesting. Um, we're down on the Kobe Harbour at the moment. I've just seen Mara Otoje. Uh, I think he wants a word with you about the <laughs> line selection. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, it might be is he talking to you yeah. uh, no, no they don't talk to media don't be silly um, so funny enough a nice little segue there Lions um, which brings up the ultimate line Alan Wynne-Jones um, 130th cap this weekend and he's going to become the all-time record holder uh, surpassing Geffen Jenkins that's just an incredible feat but it is an incredible player isn't it oh, I mean what more can you say about Alan Wynne-Jones other than, I mean, it's hard to see past him being right up there as, as the greatest potentially Welsh forward of all time now. And that's quite some some accolade. Um, the guy just doesn't have a bad game. You know, he, I remember speaking to Eddie Jones about him a couple of years ago and um, I was writing a piece for the uh, the England-Wales programme. And uh, Jones said, you know, he's either a seven, an eight or a nine out of ten. And, you, you know, he just doesn't drop low seven he, he so rarely has a bad game his work rate is incredible you know what is he now pushing 34 yeah. but you know fit as anything he sets the standard within that Welsh squad they all look up to him I think the, the, the world's players look up to him in many ways and um, just a brilliant player brilliant ambassador for Welsh rugby um, decent fella as well to be fair um, and uh, you know a great leader for Wales to have and, that team and obviously Sam Warburton is uh, very sad died, um, not so long ago prematurely but to have some Alan Wynn there to step up into that leadership breach and I think the thing that Gatlin talks about with Alan Wynn is that he allows the leader within the squad to, to sort of step up and he's not a kind of control free type captain he's very much a, a guy who, who lets others lead around him but when the heat comes on and the big games come on I'm thinking back to that England game in Cardiff last year where he just monstered Kyle Sinclair, and that—that <laughs> that doesn't happen very yeah, often. But he, it really did in, a, in an unbelievably physical game of rugby. You know, he, he kind of man marked Sinclair out of it, and wow, that takes some doing. As I say, um, yeah, an unbelievable player will be remembered as an all-time great fine uh, Welsh world player. And that, that's going to be crucially important given he's signed the contract to stay on. So whereas Gatlin's leaving after the World Cup, they're going to have that experience and that leadership for a couple more years at least to get them through that transition period. Yeah, that's that's such a good point, mate, because obviously Pivac will come in after this World Cup. Um, you know, there was obviously a lot of nonsense going around with, with Sean Edwards, whether he would stay or whether he'd gone. We think he's decided... Not to stay, but, you know, who, who'd call anything at the moment with Sean Edwards. But um, the point with, with, with Alan Wynn staying on is exactly what you just made, which is that continuity and, and that sort of continuity of leadership, player continuity, you know, it's, it, it's huge for Pivot. He wouldn't want to lose another player or person within that group with the experience and, and knowledge that Alan Wynn's got and the ability to communicate as well. And, yeah, that, that's, that's a big, big... Um, decision for him to stay at the Ospreys uh, and a big decision for Welsh rugby which Welsh fans are going to be hugely hugely grateful for So I know that you're writing a uh, preview for this match for the Independent that's going up um, over the weekend What uh, the big question I guess is what do Wales need to do to start beating Southern Hemisphere sides at the World Cup because it just doesn't happen enough <laughs> Yeah, well, it hardly 
happens at all. It's not, not happened since the game turned professional. In fact, I mean, we're going on for, where are we? Uh, let me do my, my schoolboy maths, but pushing well over, thir- well over 30 years, aren't we? We're talking yeah. 80 last time Wales beat, uh, beat Australia, indeed beat any Southern Hemisphere team in the World Cup, which is, you know, explains why they haven't ever progressed to a final. Um, so they've got to score some tries for sure. Um, obviously, their defence has been rightly held it. The work that Sean Edwards has done there over the years has made them as good a defensive team as anyone in the world. But they've, they've got to break teams down as well. It's just, you know, you play against teams like Australia and New Zealand and it's very, very rare that you can stop them crossing the try line. He did it in Cardiff last year and won a grim test match, 9-6. Um, which was no fun to watch and no doubt no fun to play in, but uh, that's that's very, very rare that that happens. So they, they've got to be more ambitious in attack. I think that guy, Hadley Parks, is a big part of that. Obviously, um, bigger at end coming in France, who was injured before the tournament, um, is perhaps not the, the front foot footballer that Hanscom was. I know he's a terrific international player. So they've got that midfield combination has got a click. They've got to put some width on the ball. They've got some terrific wide players they've got a, a Liam Williams as good as anyone in the world um, on his day um, let's use uh, George North on his day again can still be a world class player so they've got the they've got the players um, Jonathan Davis as well um, you know they've just got to they've got to break teams down they've got to attack the Wallabies and not be scared of them um, obviously getting that win over them in Cardiff last year was huge for them to break the sort of hoodoo but um doing it in a World Cup so a different, different matter altogether. yeah it will be well um, that's all for part one join us after the break for part two where we'll take a close look at the Wallabies and how their preparations have made Wales's look an absolute breeze I'm Nick Friedman I'm Lee Alec Murray and I'm Leah President and this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't, right? Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. 
That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Indie Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 in association with Tudor Watch, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. We're going to take a close look at Australia now and their very disjointed and chaotic build-up to the Rugby World Cup. It all started with calls for Michael Checker to be sacked around 18 months ago when Australia were in some pretty dismal form and most of their best players were playing abroad in Europe. Uh, only the ones that qualify through the Gitau law could play. And as we've seen, Will Skelton, probably the best Wallaby lock around at, at Saracens, he falls short of that law and he's not here in Japan. Um, then when those calls grew too loud for the Australian Rugby Union or Rugby Australia as they're now known to ignore, they couldn't afford to sack Checker from his lucrative contract. So they brought in Scott Johnson uh, in a director of rugby role. So that was seen as quite a signal to Checker that his future did not lie there. Uh, they brought him in above Checker. They now work together on selection, which I, I have no idea how that works. But we, we pretty much know how Checker's moving on uh, after the World Cup. There's, there's links of him going to Argentina, which would be very interesting to see how he'd link up with Ledesma. Uh, and then came the Israel Folau saga. Uh, we won't go into that because that's now suddenly a, a rugby league case. He's meant to be renewing his rugby league career with Tonga, yet Tonga have now been banned by the International Rugby League Federation. So... That's a whole different podcast game altogether. Um, so finally, after all that, we got to Japan and Australia played their first game. It, it wasn't great. Uh, they kind of got off to a really slow start against Fiji and Fiji looked like they were going to upset them until a second half fight back. But they've already had a player suspended by Reese Hodge and that's very much triggered the big talking point of this World Cup is how these high tackles and dangerous tackles are being dealt with or in some cases aren't being dealt with. So... Sam, this is a, a subject that you've covered extensively um, throughout your rugby career. How, um, for the start off, what was the impression of Australia in that first game? Uh, it was a bit of the opposite to Wales with the slow start. And if we just take their, their rugby view first, what, what did you make of their performance? Uh, you know, as, as you said, Jack, quite disjointed. Um, they they badly missed the Lau. Uh, they looked weak under the high ball, um, and they with obviously Kirby Beals paid the price for that in this this game against Wales. And um, they were sort of you know the, the thing that this Wallaby side doesn't do, which even sort of relatively poor Wallaby sides years gone by, they sort of look littered with footballers all all the way across the team. And this one doesn't really sort of scream that we've got talented players all over the park. I mean, obviously there is talent in the way of the Australian team, but just the, the handling's slick as it normally is. Do you think they, even in years gone by when they haven't been at their best, they've still been able to produce brilliant footballers. But um, yeah, they just look a little bit disjointed, as you, as you said as well in the lead-up. Skelton would, would, would provide them with some real muscle in the front five, perhaps a bit more than they have. I mean, they're still a good side. I think now's a good time to be playing them. And then looking closer at that Reese Hodge incident, I mean, well, I know that both of us were in agreement that that was a high tackle to the head and unacceptable. Um, I, there were calls from very prominent names in rugby union. Um, one that we've already discussed on this 
podcast in yesterday's episode, Sir Clive Woodward, who almost seemed to condone it that if you're a big power runner who's difficult to stop, you're almost allowed to be hit in the head. Now, Yato is badly concussed. He may miss that third game for Fiji as well as the second game that they lost to Uruguay. I mean, how are we still debating this? This just isn't up for debate anymore, is it? I mean, where do you, where do you start? But obviously, um, I've made those comments on Twitter and backed them up in the ITV studio, which just, I, th- I think he, he really should reflect on on that. I mean, you know, if you are basically saying if a bloke is big, powerful and strong, then what other way can you bring him down other than a headshot? I mean, it's just a terrible, terrible message to put out there. World Rugby, in fairness to them, have done a massive amount of work here and they know how important this is. Like, I think some people making comments about the high tackles that are are being penalised and saying, you know, this old nonsense about, oh, the game's gone soft, that's sort of underlying here. They just don't understand the issue. They don't understand where this comes back to and it comes back to a billion-dollar law case in NFL where players with early-onset dementia caused by repetitive head injuries have sued the league and almost brought the game down. And we know that if they don't act in this space, they're going to have problems further down the line. And players have got to be protected. Players' heads have got to be protected. And referees have got to be empowered and educated to actually crack down here. It's, it's totally sensible what World Rugby are trying to do. It's the right thing to do, if you ask me. Um, People can talk about righteousness and virtue signalling, all this rubbish, but essentially it's just about cleaning up the game and making it as safe for people to participate in it. It's rough and tough enough as it is, and, you know, as you said, why are we still debating it? And people need to learn more about it. If they're going to make big, big calls and have the platform that someone like Sir Clive has, then then at least come into it and speak with some understanding of the issues because stuff like that on the Hodge stuff just screamed of, I'm afraid, a bit of lack of understanding. Yeah, and well, talking of lack of understanding, we then had the disciplinary hearing in which it was revealed that Hodge had no idea about the new dangerous high-tackle sanction framework that was brought in earlier this year. Now... We have been bleating on about this in the media and it's how we judge every single high tackle against. So how on earth can this have happened where a player in an international team, a professional player, does not know this even exists? I mean, does that fall with the player, with Michael Checker or the Rugby Australia board or all of them? Yeah, I think all of them. But I think a lot of it's got to fall at Checker's door because, you know, as a coach, it's your duty to make sure your players are as well prepared as they can possibly be. And it, it defies belief that Hodge would use that as a defence um, that he didn't know about this this crackdown. I mean, are Australia living in a, in a bubble or a time war? What's going on? You know, I mean, as you said, it's been one of the most widely spoken about issues. It's the biggest issue in rugby for about the last two to three years about how the sport's trying to address concussion and how the sport's trying to address head injuries in the game and how much is going on around the tackle and looking at it. I mean, it just, it just it's extraordinary. It's really extraordinary. And, you know, if, if, if Czech is going to be criticised for anything, it's it's failing to prepare his players uh, properly for, for a tournament like this because in a sport that talks a lot about one percenters and, and detail and 
you know, doing the extras and all these sort of cliches that we hear. But if that, if none of those involve studying what the new directives are and understanding that high tackles are going to be heavily punished in this tournament, then you're not doing your you're not, you're not preparing correctly, and yeah, it's it's, it's astonishing that that line was was really amazing um, for any of us who sort of followed the sport for the last few few years. It was yeah, a, a, an amazing kind of revelation, and not a good way. Yeah, and it came as no surprise to hear Checker calling the decision out in his press conference, and then this comes out, and suddenly you realise that the lack of knowledge isn't on World Rugby's part, and isn't on the people on the discipline disciplinary panels part. But it's on his part and it's on his team's part. That, that came as no surprise. Um, yeah. But so then, just oh. one extra thing on that, Jack, just sort of really quickly. Just, just I was I was at the World Rugby uh, Symposium, Player Welfare Symposium, back in Paris in in March, and there was a really interesting revelation in that, which was in all the um, of all the sort of stakeholders as such in the sport, the, the ones who had the least knowledge of developments and changes and law changes were the coaches. They took on least information out of anybody, whether that's players, um, referees, media, medics, or it, it, but the coaches are the slowest to pick things up. And that's, I think, very uh, revealing and probably been shown in technicolour in, in Checker's uh, comments in this uh, situation. So I just wanted to throw that one in. Yeah, that, that, that is uh, just more evidence on the pile, really, isn't it? Um, so, so looking at the selection, uh, looking forward to the game, he's gone back to the kind of tried and tested, hasn't he? Will Genya's back in, Bernard Foley's back in, as you said, Bill's gone, and of all people, Adam Ashley Cooper's on the wing. He, he's in line for his fourth World Cup and a 18th appearance at the World Cup, which will make him the most experienced player at this tournament, and only four behind all-time record holders, Jason Leonard and Richie McCaw. So... It's a surprising move. I didn't quite expect him to make so many changes to play Wales, but how, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's probably indicative of, of the mindset of the Wallabies at the moment, which is sort of a little bit confused and a little bit confusing. And, you know, whilst we talked about how settled the Welsh starting lineup is, um, you know, the, the Wallabies certainly are not. Uh, Foley at 10 is, is, a, is a big obviously a big call and a big player he's a very experienced guy and Balaam not being there is, is a huge blow for the world can't deny that you know he's just such an important player defensively and in attack obviously his attacking game is, is well known but it's his work under the high ball that's as good as anybody in the world and you know they're, they're struggling at full but Hayley Petty's there this weekend against Wales and I'd imagine Bigger uh, will be pumping a few eyeballs up and seeing what how he goes because um, obviously Beale really struggled against Fiji and yes yeah, it's, it's an unsettled looking looking Australian team um, and I think they're there for the taking if Wales can can get it right this weekend I really do I fancy Wales yeah and you look at that area you'd say George North and Josh Adams two of the best wings in the world in the air and then Liam Williams arguably the best player in the air. Yeah, I think he is now. Now Falau is is not involved in the game. Um, then Williams is as good as anybody. He just goes onto the ball. He he attacks the space behind where he's catching the ball, or in, sorry, in front of where he is catching the ball. He, and he dominates the space. And he, he kind of he makes yards in the air, if that makes sense. He's he's that good. And I just can't I can't recall Liam Williams dropping high, a high ball 
I'm sure he has, but uh, it's it's very rare. And he's a, he's a brilliant footballer, and, and that's certainly a, an area Wales will look to to exploit because um, they look to have the kind of whip hand in, in aerially, and, and that's a really important part of the game these days, and has been for a little while. But um, it's a, it's an area that Wales probably understand as well as anyone. And I think if you look at England in in their games, actually they have been. I mean, it's, it's slightly sad that you're kind of applauding how good someone's kick chase is, but it's, it is undeniably important in, in the sport now. And, um, you know, the, the, the better teams are, are, are strong in that area. Yeah, and as you said there, the Wales are your favourites of the game. I think I'm going to have to go for it too. They may have that World Cup hoodoo on them, but I can't see a way that they shouldn't win this one. Uh, they're, they're better on paper, better in form better players and a better coach uh, if, they, if they lose apart from that <laughs> if they lose this one I think it will even have to go down as a shock which when would we ever have said that a, a Wales team failing to beat Australia being a shock yeah absolutely yeah no I mean no, I, I agree with you you know I mean, it's obviously Australia are capable of winning the game of course they are they're a top side who have got an incredible World Cup pedigree but it does feel like they're they're slightly up against the ropes at the moment, and um, whereas Wales have put the Howley thing to bed, obviously Stephen Jones come in and he's going to be taking over, and was due to be taking over anyway. So after the World Cup as, a, as the attack coach, so um, they've got a settled team. You know, Navidia is it's a guy perhaps who doesn't get the, the credit he should, but what a player he's become for the Welsh team um, across any three position of the three positions in the back row he's an outstanding outstanding international forward now um, keeping Moriarty out the side Tipperich has stepped up as many people thought he would in, in Warburton's absence and yeah just a, a really good settled Welsh team um, and it feels like if it's, if, if it's ever going to be their, their day then this is it. So, yeah, it would be hugely disappointing for them if they didn't win on the weekend. Well, that's pretty much all bases covered for that game. Uh, that's uh, Sunday, 4.45pm kickoff here in Japan. So that's 8.45am back home. A nice early treat in the morning. But that's, that's all from this episode. Uh, remember to subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen for all the latest from the World Cup. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye.